Red Dragon, more like bad. Two families killed a month apart in their homes. This wasn't some killing frenzy. These attacks were highly organized. The victims carefully chosen. This one is gonna go on and on. You wanna know how he's choosing them, don't you? Bad joke, uh, <laughs> courtesy of Ariel Rocks 5 on Twitter, who sent it to both of us in a conversation the other day. Yes, yes. AKA Samantha. My brain <laughs> my brain really wanted to say sham wow instead of Samantha. <laughs> So thanks Why? to Sham, thanks to Sham Wow for the joke. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Yes, hello. Now we are officially starting the episode. This um, is yes, this is a great way to start. Yeah. <laughs> uh, welcome back to our Hannibal retrospective, and now we finally got past the ones that people tend to like, except for some people, I guess, because I know some people who prefer Red Dragon. To other entries in the Hannibal Lecter series, I know. Uh, I don't know anyone actually, but I've heard of them. <laughs> yeah, they're scary, and you shouldn't trust them. Uh, well, I'm, we'll we'll get to we'll get to that. I'm not here to shit on anyone, but I'll hey. shit on everyone. Okay, why? When did I turn into the good cop of the series? <laughs> you know what? I honestly couldn't tell you. <laughs> like I, I defended Hannibal last week, and now I'm here going like, don't give people a hard time for liking this film. <laughs> well, no, it Hannibal, is Hannibal. I get. I, I don't get Red Dragon anymore. This is a deceptively competent film. <laughs> so if you're not, you know, familiar with anything, it's probably an all right movie. Uh, but first up, hello, I'm your host, Diego Crespo. And I'm Matt, the other one. Yeah, the one who made us go down this fucking weird ass rabbit hole of murder Hey, you thought it was a good idea, too. <laughs> it was a good idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, it's, you know what? It's both our faults. And, yes. But I'm happy we're doing it. Uh, it's it, this this one I'm less happy for. But to your point about it being shockingly competent. I didn't say shockingly competent. <laughs> well, I will say shockingly competent. I said, I well, because here's the thing. Uh, the, the person who made this, who we will get to because they deserve a little point where we talk about them um is a competent person <laughs> filmmaker they can make a movie where all the scenes are all the shots are in focus all the edits kind of lead into each other everything works fine it's a deceptively competent film <laughs> but if you know anything about the preceding the the previous films or the original version, the original versions, I guess I should say, both the original film and the novel that this is based on, um, this movie is infuriating. <laughs> but if you don't know anything about that stuff and you kind of go in a little clean, or maybe you saw Silence of the Lambs once in theaters and don't remember much about it except what's been parodied, you go into this, you might walk out going, all right, that was fine, because it is an interesting story. And if this is your first introduction to that story – You'll probably get caught up in it. Um, it is not either of our <laughs> first introductions to this story, so uh, it, our mileage may vary. 
And it doesn't help that Manhunter is basically one of the best movies ever made. Yeah, far and away just better <laughs> than this movie. Uh, we usually have a little more structure to these episodes, but um, we have not hidden our dislike of this movie and its director. So, um, mm-hmm. fuck, it's, it, it's, it's a lot. Uh, there was one point you wanted to bring up. I don't know if you wanted to bring it up later, but there was another formerly respected uh, online film critic who compared and contrasted Manhunter with Red Dragon. I don't know if you want to touch on that now. Well, I, I, I mean, I, was, I don't know when to throw it in, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, famous uh, internet critic Doug Walker, the nostalgia, a.k.a. the Nostalgia Critic, uh, did a whole episode of his show where he compared Manhunter and Red Dragon. And uh, if you want to peek into his uh, depths as a critic, just I suggest watching it just to see what he has to say. And then he uh, picks a... Uh, he picks Red Dragon, and the note he decides that is the the, the thing that trumps Red Dragon is because in it, you know, he gives them a fair shake because movies are bullet points, so you got to compare the bullet points. <laughs> um, and he said that he likes the Manhunter version of Will Graham better, but he likes the Red Dragon version of Hannibal Lecter better, and he likes the blah blah blah. The, he likes the. Red Dragon killer of the other film, but he likes the supporting cast of Red Dragon, blah, 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 all that bullshit. But the thing that made him pick Red Dragon over Manhunter was that he felt that Red Dragon was a better visual film than Manhunter. Because when he thinks of Manhunter, he doesn't think of any of the shots in it. He doesn't, he just thinks of all the blank walls you saw. Whereas, you know, none of the walls are blank in this movie. Which means the production design's clearly better. Yeah, it's it's a great example of more production design, meaning better production design in someone's head. Um, so, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and uh, he's going through his tough time right now with uh, all his former collaborators basically filling how horrible it was to work for the the website, that guy with the glasses. So might as well add on. <laughs> uh, and speaking of uh, disgraced, uh, Brett Ratner is the director of the film Red Dragon. <laughs> His whole deal was kind of like one of those open secrets in Hollywood. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, that guy's like totally like a piece of shit. But apparently he's <laughs> a really good producer. Only, you know, a terrible person. So how good of a producer could you actually be? I mean, like, I'm sure he's good at, like, greasing their wheels for, like, getting mm. movies made. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's he was in, like, Chronicled back when he was, uh, like, on Attack of the Show with Olivia Munn. And how he basically just, like, harassed her, like, 24-7. No, really. Yeah. Well, because, I mean, the big one is Ellen Page, who worked with him on X-Men The Last Stand, has accused him. Uh, he, like, outed her as gay on the set. In a very uh, harassing – she wrote a whole thing about it. I was just reading it. I'm Olivia Munn who uh, – this was long before the Me Too movement thing started. Um, Olivia Munn wrote in her book about someone who harassed her and did something awful. And then Brett Ratner, the genius that he is, uh, went on the Howard Stern show and uh, publicly called her out. And then she came out and said, like, hey, I wasn't talking about you, idiot. I was talking about a different <laughs> producer. And 
Um, he ended up, and he also said stuff about gay, like he made like some gay jokes on the Howard Stern show that got him fired from doing the Oscars. He was going to produce the Oscars that year. And, uh, he was bringing Eddie Murphy in to host cause Eddie Murphy just, uh, worked with them. Um, and then he said something on the Howard Stern show that, uh, was very homophobic. So they fired him. And, uh, he also harassed, uh, Natasha, Natasha, Henstridge. She's a great actress, and she was always one of those people who were like, wow, why didn't she have a bigger career? And I think that might be an answer. So anyway, someone in their brilliance chose Brett Ratner to direct this fucking thing. He was, I guess, really good at just taking on projects and shitting them out. Like, he's all like, right, here's, here we go. There's a setup. There's your shot. Move on. Well, he's been described as whatever is like a studio hitman. Like, the studio just brings him in to do a project when a project needs to get done by a certain date, you know? Yeah. Because if you look at all his projects, that's all they really are. Yeah, they're, they're dates that get filled up, and then that's it. He mm-hmm. goes and makes them. Because, like, look at anything in his movies. I think the one people always go back to, like, oh, well, you know, I like the first Rush Hour. Fun fact, Jackie Chan basically directed that thing. Yes. So that's why you like it. <laughs> That's why, if you notice, like the first rush hour is actually well made. <laughs> the action the other flows ones. a lot better. There's like motivation from scene to scene. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so because Jackie Chan knows his shit, uh, Brett Ratner for, doesn't. For some reason, it feels like it was made in the '80s, and I'm pretty sure it was made in the late '90s. So that's a weird thing about Rush Hour. He also directed X Men: The Last Stand. Everyone's favorite from the original which, trilogy, so which I think is a very important film in my life because that's like the first film I remember going to and being like properly disappointed by. Like you, ever, you, you, know, you always had that one movie where you feel betrayed for the first time. Yeah. You know what? Oddly enough, I liked it when it first came out, but I was like young and didn't like mm. I didn't think about movies really. I was just like, I like this one a lot. Um, Hidalgo was actually the first one. Oh, I was like, really? Yeah, I was a big Viggo Mortensen fan after Lord of the Rings. And so then I was like, oh, yeah, it's all horse movie with him. Action, adventure. Horse. And like, yeah, and I was like, this is, this is fine. And that it's X-Men, The Last Stand, and Cheaper by the Dozen with Steve Martin. Because <laughs> I remember – well, because I saw the preview for it. And it was like, oh, oh, man, Steve Martin, he's great in The Jerk. <laughs> and I'm like, I didn't really put together that The Jerk was made like 25 years before Chief by the Dozen. <laughs> so it's like I didn't understand that like he maybe wasn't the same guy that did that. And I went to see it and I was like, that was just terrible. And they really hyped that movie. That was a hype, that was a hype movie. And X-Men The Last Stand was also very hyped. And I just remember like they like they had all this bullshit online and like they had like Angel's going to be in it and fucking all the X-Men are going to join up and they're going to fight a robot, which turns out to not even be in the movie. <laughs> it was all this shit. And I was like, hey, where's Nightcrawler? And like, never mind about him. Oh, yeah. Didn't they uh, not use Nightcrawler because they didn't want two blue characters on screen? I don't know. I think it might have just been that what's his name? didn't want to do the makeup again. Ah. I think uh, they didn't. And, you know, Brett Ratner was like, who gives a fuck about Nightcrawler? <laughs> Just 90% of the X-Men fan base. <laughs> and Kitty Pride, she's basically a supporting role in the film. Like, but she's barely in the fucking thing. 
They fuck up that movie so bad. Definitely no one was anticipating Red Dragon like they were uh, X-Men 3. Like, I, I so wasn't fully aware of the zeitgeist at the time, but I feel comfortable in saying that. Like, I'm sure some people were looking forward to Hannibal Lecter, but, like, it's totally I remember, different. I remember ads for this one a lot. I remember seeing a, I remember seeing a lot of previews for both Hannibal and Red Dragon when I was a kid. Um, I don't know why. I don't know where I was seeing those. <laughs> But I saw the Red Dragon one a lot, uh, and it was like, see, Hannibal Lecter again. <laughs> I was like, okay, I guess he's important. <laughs> okay, you know who else actually gave this movie a positive review when it first came out? Yeah, Roger Ebert. Yeah, Roger Ebert and Richard Roper. We have to understand, Roger Ebert likes everything. <laughs> <laughs> Roger Ebert, it's really hard to get Roger Ebert not to like a film. If he's not bored during it. So. Uh, and honestly, I'm kind of surprised that this didn't bore him because I wanted to like shoot myself watching this well, this like, time. I'll be honest. Like I said, the key thing is that I think if you don't know this story, it's an interesting story and it's enough to keep you interested for at least one watch. So if you go in cold or if you forgot Manhunter. <laughs> It's a very it's kind of fresh in a, you know, because the, you know, the Red Dragon Killer is a very interesting villain. And how they catch him is and, and this movie follows all the beats. It just follows them as weak as it possibly could. Yeah, there's no motivation to any of the shots, any of the, the cuts, nothing. It's just like here is this scene for information for you. And then mm. here's the scene after that. And then here's the scene after that. And mm -hmm. here's like even down to like the lighting. It, it is it's trying to ape Silence of the Lambs like a lot, obviously, like with the production, uh, the Hannibal Lecter cell. It's exactly the same. Basically, it's trying to be Silence of the Lambs and uh, and seven. Because the Red Dragon Killer is like all his shit is very seven inspired with his like notebook. And he's got he's basically got a, a, a evil villain layer. <laughs> <laughs> in this version, which, you know, he, Dollar Hyde had it in Manhunter, but it was more just his house. Yeah, like it was it was an extension of himself, not like, a, yeah, a layer. That's that's a perfect way of putting it. Mm -hmm. Well, this feels like he's going to join the Legion of Doom or something. <laughs> so it's just it's all it, it's all stuff that would like, you know, would make sense on like paper. But then in execution, it's all wrong. <laughs> It's just that's and that's pretty much everything in this movie. And talking about lack of motivation, there's a big one in this, which is that Edward Norton's Will Graham completely misses the point of the character. Uh, he is. This might be like the not bad Edward Norton performance, but he he just can't like shape it in any way, and that's not his fault because he's a clearly a talented actor. You know, mm. it's like. There's just really nothing else to latch on to. Like, like you said, the story is so good that there's almost something there, but he's not guided in any direction, really. Well, it's, it's very clear that Brett Ratner thought that when Lecter says they're alike, that him just saying that was enough. <laughs> you don't need to convey that in any other way. And that's a big – because you get like – because when you get the first scene – we're talking about the opening of this movie because I think that sums up a lot of the problems of it. Uh, which is, you know, Lecter, he's listening to a symphony 
Um, this is before he's been caught. Uh, and one of the players, one of the, fl- the flute players is uh, fucking up and is just terrible. And he's and the whole orchestra will be like, oh, hey, buddy, get in, get in the game. <laughs> Meanwhile, like that's it's supposed to be a thing that and the idea is that Lecter goes on to kill this musician because he's a bad musician. So Lecter's like, ah, fuck it, I'll kill him. And that's kind of like sets up something about the Hannibal Lecter character. But the idea is supposed to be that this is a flaw that only Lecter would really notice. Like, it's not supposed to be something where everyone in the orchestra is like, whoa, <laughs> hey, this guy's not practicing enough. This Brett Radner just didn't know how to convey that idea without other people kind of, without him like, like deliberately screwing up. And that's what it's like, just it's like this obvious underlying of that. And that's everything in this movie is shot like that. And so we get Lecter and his – and then we immediately go to Lecter, you know, where he's, he's a respected doctor. This is before everyone knows he's a serial killer. That's our first time seeing this. And everyone's like, hey, isn't it weird that that musician disappeared <laughs> <laughs> while Lecter is like serving meat? And he's like, hmm. He's like, I, I hate to – and the one guy was like, you know, oh, I hate to be a bust, but it's actually improved the orchestra. And Lecter's like, oh, ho, ho. <laughs> Yeah, it's, so it, it's just fucking... It's the most obvious way of doing that. Like, there's you, there's nothing subtle about it. There's, there's no inspiration. There's no... Uh, it, it's totally fucking criminal minds. Yeah. Like, we're going to probably continue, like, just fucking dunking on that series, like, throughout the rest of these. But that one, like, this one in particular is really, like, leaning into that, that generic... Uh, morally kind of gross like territory especially in the finale some yes. stuff happens with Graham's son that is just like like mm. visibly upset me when I was rewatching it this brings me back to my comment comment about it being deceptively competent because this does this it sets up everything we need to know about this character in five minute five minutes the most the most blunt and obvious way possible but it sets it all up and then we're immediately introduced to Will Graham, who, uh, as we as we are told, is investigating the killers, and he has a relationship with Lecter, um, where he's actually consulted with him on the crime. And Will Graham, played by Edward Norton, has finally put together that he, the killer must be eating the victims, and that's why they're not. That's why the bodies are found in such weird ways, or some of them not at all, uh, and. We meet Edward Norton and he kind of just plays Will Graham as like basic detective guy, guy who has an epiphany and gets excited about it. And I'm not saying that couldn't work because maybe he is wearing as much of a facade as Lecter is. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's like maybe idea, like hinted at in subsequent and previous work with Will Graham even. Well, I mean, but like every version of the other two versions we'll see are all there's some. It's very obvious that there's something wrong with both of them, <laughs> like from the get go. And we rarely see them in more normal situations. Uh, whereas this one right off the bat, he's just kind of like a normal dude. And it would kind of be interesting if maybe as we went along, we discovered, oh, he's actually a fucked up guy deep down. He's got problems and he's just he's. He's putting on a facade just like the killers he's hunting put on a facade, except he is driven by empathy, whereas they are not. 
And that could have been interesting. Um, but instead, this movie does nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it just loves to say something. And then it's like, oh, I guess that that's that's what we're going with. All right. Next scene. And then I should point out that uh, I don't believe that in I, I really I can't remember. I don't believe in Red Dragon. They say that I believe in the book Red Dragon. Graham only met Lecter the one time and it was when he caught him. And he he met Lecter to question him because one of his patients went missing. He saw a book on the shelf that contained uh, wounds of some sort. I, I can't remember what type of wounds they were. And that and he put the connection together. But before he could do anything, Lecter stabs him. They get into an altercation, but he he gets to jump on Lecter and takes him down. Uh, in this version, it's set up that they have a past relationship. So this might be the first introduction of that idea of like they actually work together a little bit. Yeah. In, uh, in the movie Manhunter, I don't think they ever say whether or not they did or didn't. But just the idea there that there's a history like that makes it work on its own. Play the history in the sense that he caught him in that one. It's very specifically about catching him is that that's their history. But in this, it's they it, this is the first time where it feels like they've actually worked together. Which is a cool enough idea to launch a series even on NBC. Yep. I'm just saying I don't remember if the book actually brings this up, but uh, I don't believe it did. And I should say in this version of it um, – same basic thing happens. He meets with uh, – Will Graham meets with Lecter. He gives his new theory and Lecter's like, oh, that's crazy. Well, hey, I'm going to go get something. <laughs> and then Graham's like, all right, Dr. Lecter. And he goes – and Graham's just like looking at his shelf and he finds a book. Uh, except in, instead of this version of it being something like War Wounds or whatever it was in the novel, uh, it's I. It's a book – I forget. Get, I think it's written in some other language and something is underlined in it. And that's when it's like very obvious, like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, it's like a Scooby-Doo level like reveal. Like it's li- like I said, it's literally underlined. <laughs> and then we get him. He gets stabbed. There's a fight. And somehow Lecter survives getting stabbed in the stomach and shot like five times. No. OK, here <laughs> I'm going to say something nice about the movie now. Uh, I think – the way that action plays out is actually kind of exciting. It's boring because I don't give a shit, but like there's nothing wrong with that action beat for me anyways. Like, it, I guess it's, but it's it feels easy, like it's easy to track. Um, you see the bullets hit the wall behind Lecter. He, he's only shot like twice, which is still a fucking lot. So I'm just not mm-hmm. like, you know, I've never been shot and I feel pretty good about that. I'd like to keep yeah. it that way. But I can't imagine that getting shot twice they, is uh They say if you can have helpful. the option between getting stabbed and shot, go with getting shot. That's hilarious because he's fucking – he gets both. Yes. <laughs> Oh. oh, that's great. So, so yeah. And then he takes him down. Um, this is when I guess we should bring up that Anthony Hopkins is back as Hannibal Lecter and does not want to be here for this film. Oh. Wait, did he not want to be here for this one? I thought he was at least having fun. My theory was he was having fun in Hannibal. I believe he's having a lot of fun in the movie Hannibal. I don't believe he's having any fun in this one. Oh. He's just, he comes across as very tired and very much doesn't want to be there. Um, so, so he's like a fucking just black hole in this movie, <laughs> whereas he kind of saves Hannibal for me because I actually really like him. I think he's very engaging in the movie Hannibal. This time it's like, they, cause they add more 
Hannibal Lecter scenes to this movie because they think he's the draw to it. And that just makes it more boring. And then they just – the other fucked up thing is that because it's not really – it's not Hannibal Lecter's story at all, he just disappears in like the third act. But he also gets the final shot of the movie, which is like – now see, I, I almost kind of like that because again, you could do something so interesting with that where instead of it like full on being Will Graham's story, it's a story about how even behind bars – Hannibal Lecter's manipulated all these people to like basically eat each other, you know? Mm. Well, and, if, if and Hannibal – That would be so if, fucking scary because then there's another FBI agent just waiting in the wing for him. Mm-hmm. Like that's a scary thought that he could oh, still I control forgot. these people. Oh, shit. No, it's so I, stupid I, I and forgot. fucking like prequely, but like you could have done yeah. something really scary with that. Yeah, I forgot that the end of this movie leads directly into Silence of the Lambs. Which is fucking stupid. But uh, anyway, um, which how the fuck did Jack Crawford go from looking like Harvey Keitel <laughs> at Glenn? Uh, the, the Red Dragon experience was very uh, – Took a lot stressful. out of a guy. Yeah. A man grows as they say. Um, but uh, fucking – like I said, but again, that could work if Lecter was only in the beginning of this movie and only at the end. Instead, he's in the beginning and the middle, but then not in the end until the very end. <laughs> so he has nothing to do with the climax of the film. It's almost like Brett Ratner's a bad director. Well, it's like Brett Ratner's a bad director, and this entire the entire idea of this film is flawed. Which is, you know, to do we got to do another Lecter film because the series is popular. Let's, you know. Fucking put more Lecter scenes in a story that is not about Hannibal Lecter. This is a very shy boy, Will. He'll be a bodybuilder, of course. Look for extensive tattooing and corrective surgery to the face. He is refining his methods. I don't think anybody knows you at all, dear. He is evolving. So it's true that Lecter's actually helping with your investigation. We mustn't judge too harshly, Will. Have you never felt a sudden rush of panic? What did Dino De Laurentiis think of this movie? I don't know. I didn't actually find any quotes from him. Uh, it's fine. I, I did very little research because I just did not care. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. This is like – it's such a fucking bland movie and it's just boring and embarrassing. Um, but let's go back to the, the characters and the, the actors now because these are – they're all very talented people involved in this. <laughs> Uh, I th- did they even get the DP back from Silence of the... No, no, no. No. Oh, this is no. what I want to talk about. Yeah, they yeah. got Dion Beeb. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my favorites who would Deep. also go on to shoot uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp this summer. And uh, was the DP for the original Manhunter. Yep. And Michael Mann's Heat and Miami Vice and Collateral. Because that's what I I guess I should add is that this movie very much wants to remake Manhunter instead of adapt the book Red Dragon. (laughs) Because it's – they take so much from Manhunter, from structure to moments to just the DP. (laughs) Like it's not interested in telling its own story. It's interested in trying to redo Manhunter in a Silence of the Lambs package. I don't know what the fuck to do with that. Wait, did I say Dion Beeb? Dante Spinotti. My mistake. Dante Spinotti, the other guy. 
No, he 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 did not shoot Miami Vice and Collateral or the Snowman, which Dan Beeb did shoot. Oh no, that's a good looking movie. That's not the problem with that movie. There's a lot of problems with that movie. <laughs> um, but you know, Dante Spinotti, another very talented director. I mean, a fucking cinematographer. Fuck this director movie. of photography. Thank you. I should just save that. Uh, but no, I mean the, the the way this movie looks isn't the problem inherently. It's just it, – it's all so misguided and misused. It's just every room is framed like a room. <laughs> There's just nothing interesting about any of it. Uh, it's why it's is, very uh, like generic criminal mind television, you know? Just like here's mm-hmm. this shot, reverse shot, shot, reverse shot. Oh, you need some coverage over here to make sure the audience can track what's going on. And there's I feel nothing like it's wrong with that also, I guess. But, you know, with a movie, you want that to be telling you a story differently than you would on television. I feel like a couple – if this had, had been a TV series like shot this way a couple years before the Hannibal show, this would have been considered groundbreaking television because <laughs> <laughs> uh, some TV critics are kind of idiots. Um, do you know Brett Ratner shot the pilot for Prison Break? I actually did because that is like one of my ultimate guilty pleasure shows. I never watched it. Oh, it's so dumb. You gotta. Just looking at his filmography. Oh, God, <laughs> he did. He did movie 43. They blackmailed a lot of people into doing that movie. Yeah, I don't think they had to blackmail him. <laughs> no, no. He was the guy blackmailing everyone. Probably. Something went wrong. I, I like I know I just want to talk about movie forty three instead of this piece of shit, but whatever. If movie forty three is is not much better. Movie forty three is at least interesting. Well, just because you're constantly questioning like how and why. Yeah, like every <laughs> shot, like it, like it just keeps topping itself in its unbelievability. <laughs> uh, but okay, so Anthony Hopkins doesn't want to be here. That's it. Harvey Keitel is Jack Crawford. Um, Harvey Keitel Harvey, is never bad. He's never bad, but he just doesn't really do much here. Yeah. Um, Dr. Chilton's back. The same one from Silence of the Lambs, just so you know there's continuity. And he looks older. Yep. <laughs> so leading directly into Silence of the Lambs is uh, fucking stupid. Especially fucking Hopkins looks old in this one. And yeah, they, they try to young him up. Like they, I think they even like dyed his hair a little darker. His face is just too big. Yeah, poor guy. So, so no offense, Mister Hopkins. Yeah, Sir Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, uh, just it's just a mistake all around. <laughs> it would have been better if they just rewrote this in some way to like be a sequel to Hannibal or something. And no one's really cracked that. Honestly, uh, until Brian Fuller, obviously, because then he just completely reworks the mythology. But mm-hmm. like that's such a it doesn't seem like it should be that complicated, but it really, really is. Yep. And honestly, I don't know if I'd want Brett Ratner to have his hands on a story that had to follow the events of Hannibal even. Oh, man, he directed Christmas in the Hollis for Run DMC. Oh, no, I didn't need to know that. <laughs> This movie's so fucking boring. We can't. We can't even like stay on track with it. I can't. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. There's really not much to say 
Um, except I guess we should talk about the Red Dragon Killer at some point. Yeah, here, let's let's go to there. Ray Fines. Yeah. Fucking inanimate object or inanimate fucking object. Yes. Which is what his performance is in this film. Oh, I thought he was all right. Nice trying his best, but it's very like just I'm emotionally disturbed guy. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of like, okay, so uh, during the Hannibal run, I'm sure you saw some criticism about that version of Will Graham where he was uh, um. Like his performance was always like noted as a little like excessive and kind of animated because he always had a lot of like facial tics. Because nothing about that show was excessive. <laughs> yeah, like it, it fits for that show, I think. And then here it feels like, oh, no, there's just nothing connecting that to the actual character. Like everyone's very much acting mm-hmm. in like the most broad sense of the word. Well, the idea is that, uh, you know, more acting <laughs> equals better acting. Which is how it should be, obviously. I love movies that let me know there are people acting in a movie. Yep. Jim Carrey should have gotten an Oscar for number 23. Oh, yeah. yeah. Jim Carrey should have gotten an Oscar for every performance he's ever given. Kick-ass, too. Because you know what I love about his movies? I love that I know he is really trying his hardest. <laughs> oh, don't, don't be – I think he's actually pretty good in a couple movies. He's good, but there's never a movie I see where I don't realize how hard he's trying. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you know what would happen if they, they made this version right. of Red Dragon today? All right. Adam Sandler as the Red Dragon Killer. <laughs> I was going to say Jared Leto. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I had to stop you before we got to that. <laughs> All right, just, just picture it. <laughs> Uh, no. I like Adam Sandler when he's not Adam Sandler. Oh, yo, 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 yo. No, that's Grown Ups 3. Or, uh, no, it's Billy Madison when he's, like, yelling at the guy. No, no, no. See, that's the twist to Grown Ups 3. Oh. Is, is, is he becomes the Red Dragon Killer and he goes around killing all his friends' families. Grown Ups 3, directed by Werner Herzog. <laughs> Uh, I love when you emote in your performance the... The grown-ups find themselves in a burning building. (laughs) (laughs) That's a a Paul F. Tompkins bit. Where he he pitches Werner Herzog doing grown-ups 3. (laughs) The psychological trauma of losing your wife and family and your loved ones before your eyes. I would use the friction of Rob Schneider and Sandler. (laughs) Um, but, uh, anyway. Larry Fines. Remember when Adam Sandler played a guy whose family died on 9-11? Oh my god, yeah. That movie confused me because I actually looked it up and it, no, families didn't die on 9-11 unless they were on a plane. It's like, did he die? Because he lives in New York City, so like, what was his family doing at the World Trade Center? I have no idea. I, this is an important – I don't feel like the people who wrote that film thought through their script very well. I feel like that's actually a good way of criticizing a lot of movies about 9-11 because they're ultimately not about 9-11, most of them. They're like yes. using it for fucking like shock value. What's that fucking Robert Pattinson movie? I was going to bring it up right now. That <laughs> fucking bullshit-ass movie. 
It's like you got 911. It's like a fucking prank. Like, well, because that's the end of the movie. It's so fucking yeah. like what? And it's called Remember Me. Like what? <laughs> or uh, what's the extremely loud and incredibly close? Yeah, extremely loud, and cr- which is a great title, by the way. And uh, it seems to think New York City is a very quirky place. Also, Tom Hanks died on 9-11 and was the falling man in that picture who's never been identified. I think that was the twist of that movie. I don't remember it. Back to Red Dragon. Yeah, but 9-11 was a tragedy. Yes, it was. (laughs) We've brought up 9-11 like in all three – like all of these episodes now, I think. Well, I guess it's fair to say that these movies were heavily influenced in a post-9-11 world because – Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, there's, there's no connection. There. It just keeps coming up. Well, this was uh, Brett Ratner's follow-up to uh, Rush Hour 2, which was released in 2001. <laughs> And Rush Hour 2 very much feels like a pre-9-11 film. I want to finish this, but I'm also very curious about why you feel that way. Because it's like – because all the movies before 9-11 – this is an important topic. and has a lot – everything to do with Red Dragon apparently. Um, there's, there's like – there's this real carefree attitude to like every action comedy – before 9-11 like it's like whoa like everything's kind of like played for laughs like explosions and jumping out of buildings and shit and like after 9-11 like you can't do anything because <laughs> now we know what it looks like for planes to actually fly into buildings and for buildings to fall down so you can't really do anything with that <laughs> wow you're yeah Honestly, I'm very fascinated with all the films released before September 11th in the year 2001. Zoolander was supposed to be like a released like a week after 9/11. Oh. Anyway, um, Francis Dollarhide, the Red Dragon Killer, uh, is in this film, and then we get to see him eat the painting in this movie. He eats the Red Dragon painting. Oh yeah. <laughs> Which is Which a good be- moment. Which would have been great in a other movie. <laughs> like I, I, I know a Manhunter for like the hardcore Hannibal fan got, got, still gets a lot of flack for not incorporating the actual Red Dragon mythos as much, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's like you you don't need it for that movie. And then it happens in Red Dragon, and you're just like, well, that was kind of neat, but why? Yeah, <laughs> like like they they kind of just set up the Red Dragon stuff like immediately before that. It's like he's obsessed with the painting, but it doesn't understand anything about the painting more than the fact that it's a painting. Yeah, like there's there's no actual like interest in delving in like the psychology of these people. It's just like very procedural. Yep. Like the most procedural thing, but without any interest in the people doing the procedure work. So, yeah. Well, it should also be said that like every time Will Graham has an epiphany, it is like very generic epiphany moment. (laughs) Of like rushing to the phone. You touched him, didn't you? You touched him, didn't you? You touched him, didn't you? Yeah, and he says it like son of a bitch. Like, (laughs) whereas like you get like that great like, you know, 
tidal wave of emotion in Manhunter, and here it's just like, oh, he learned something. <laughs> I'm trying to muster up like anything interesting to say about this, and there really isn't. No, there's not. Uh, you know what? The only interesting thing about it is that you can see what an experienced filmmaker could do with this story in Manhunter, and then what an inexperienced mm-hmm. filmmaker could do with it in Red Dragon. Like, there's so many... Yeah, compare and contrast. Yeah, like, uh, when Freddy Lounge gets set on fire in Manhunter, it's like this slow reveal, and then this piercing scream, and then the quick, the the burning body wheels directly into the camera. And then in Red Dragon, it's just like... It's this... I I do actually like... I do actually like that the body is still moving, though, on the wheelchair um, in this version. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, it's it's more fucked up, but like it doesn't like it, it can't do anything like, for me. By that's that literally point. like one high note from like shit. <laughs> <laughs> the whole the whole scene where the red dragon and kidnaps Freddie Lowndes is just awful. Like that's supposed to be like the highlight of the film. It's the reason why I think Manhunter sticks out in my mind as one of my favorite movies. And here it's just a big fat nothing. It's a little gross and disturbing, and there's a jump scare in it. It feels like uh, – OK, you know the criticism a lot of Blumhouse movies get for being like uh, the, the that very like overproduced type horror movie? Yeah, that – does he do those Conjuring movies? Uh, Brett Ratner? No. No, no. I'm, I'm the Blumhouse guy. Blumhouse, yeah, yeah, yeah. They do the Conjuring and stuff. Yeah. Because yeah. those I just can't stand. Okay, I like them, but this they're is bad. like all those no, and it's it's they're awful, and it's awful to keep perpetuating these people like they real like they're true stories. I think it's disgusting that we keep doing this. Okay, that I will definitely agree on. It's taking advantage of like real suffering, and probably and it trivializes stuff like mental illness. It's it's awful on like every conceivable level, and I think we have to start morally saying we can't support films that claim to be based on true stories anymore that are about fucking ghosts. I didn't expect this conversation to go that way, but I'm actually glad it did. It's more interesting than this fucking movie. <laughs> I'm, thinking, just, I'm probably never going to have a chance to talk about those Conjuring films and just fuck them. No, no Conjuring retrospective for you? No Conjuring retrospective because they're fucking shit. <laughs> It's like I don't get why people defend those movies. They're so generic and they will not be remembered in any way. We get out this is cuz this movie it's like one of the it's it's scary in a way that was like immediately not scary like 2 years later. And that's what happens with those conjuring films. They're not scary on rewatch. They're just generic ghost story. Everyone will remember the witch. Everyone's going to be talking about the witch for like another decade at least. Like Get out. That's one that's going to stick around around for a while. A while. Uh, a while. I'm I'm all I'm fucking got marbles in my mouth today. I don't know what the fuck's up. But it's this fucking movie, man. It's like, what are we supposed to do? It doesn't give us anything. It doesn't. It does nothing. It is a nothing movie. I fucking hate everyone. <laughs> I fucking hate you. <laughs> I fucking hate all the people I follow. On, I fucking hate everyone I follow on Twitter. I fucking hate ShamWow. I fucking hate Brett Ratner. I fucking hate this movie. It's all bad. We're all gonna die. So we can't escape it. Death is coming for all of us. 
I think I'm dying right now. And I'm just waiting to find out. And it's this slow, just illness that just eats you alive from the inside as all your faculties shut down. And you just, I got sick once 10 years ago and never got better. And that's what life is. And it led to me watching this movie, <laughs> wasting over two hours of my time on it. <laughs> and then sitting on this podcast and having nothing to say for it. Life is a gamble, not worth taking. The cruel joke of existence in microcosm. So anyway, I didn't like this movie. <laughs> and somehow I think I still like it less than you. Something happens at the end of this movie you wanted to talk about. Is it the yeah. kid pissing his pants? Uh, yeah, the kid pissing his pants, then Edward Norton just fucking... That kid must have to go through so much therapy after what oh, he does yeah, to his now son. I remember. Okay, well, I laughed. <laughs> it's hilarious, but then it's like really infuriating, also. Especially no, like just just because all the other uh, versions of this this no, world. No. You don't understand how funny this is because <laughs> it's a complete misunderstanding of the character. It's like it thinks this is how Will Graham works. <laughs> Like he can put on the face of like what an abusive father is for like a minute. And it's like, no. <laughs> and he yells at his kid for pissing his pants. And that's the way that's how he uses his wits to get out of it. <laughs> like, what the fuck is that? Do you know that when bees ejaculate, the tips of their penis shoot off? Um, I, I did not know that. No. <laughs> Does uh does does that make you feel better now? Getting that off your chest? Nope. <laughs> uh oh, and then you know what would make me feel better? I I, I still don't know how I'm going to feel about the next film. If it'll be better than this, or at least more memorable. Uh. I have not secured a copy of the film, by the way. I seem to have, we seem to have picked a film that time forgot. Because <laughs> I found a copy of Red Dragon. I found like five copies of Hannibal. Oddly enough, I get that one. Because that one's like, like basically thought, borderline camp, you know? And, and I just feel like when Blockbuster went out of business, there would have been a lot of Hannibal, Div Hannibal Rising DVDs floating around out there. <laughs> Maybe there's like a secret cult of fans that like really love Hannibal Rising and they just hoarded them all. Mm. And so now they go for like hundreds of dollars on eBay. When Freddie Lowndes gets set on fire, uh, there's a guy who – the guy who witnesses it is an actor named Al Brown who played Lieutenant Valchek on The Wire. <laughs> he has zero lines in this film. <laughs> this movie, they must have shot it in Baltimore. He must be a Baltimore native or something. Possibly, or uh, oh, oh, uh, Barney from um, the the previous two. Well, yeah, yeah, we Fred, uh, Freddie Faison was like a huge uh, part of the Wire. He was the commissioner for like the first four seasons. Yeah, so maybe he was just like, "Hey, I got a buddy who needs some work right now." Um, all right, yeah, but this was before that's. But that was before the Wire. But this came out before the Wire. Oh fuck! Did it? How, when did the yeah. Wire come around? That was like two thousand four, right? It was like 2003, I believe. 
Hmm. And this movie's from 2002. Oh, what the fuck? This movie's that old? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I, I didn't know that. Maybe like, I didn't. I just example. forgot because who cares? But. A post 9-11 film. This came out a really year after that. Hannibal. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, my. Did it? Yeah. 2001 Hannibal. 2002 Red Dragon. Are you serious? I didn't know that. Wow. Okay. Red Dragon. There's like a fucking marked difference between those films. October 4th, 2002 is when Red Dragon came out. February 9th, 2001 is when Hannibal came out. That's still crazy. That's that's what they're doing for fucking Star Wars. (laughs) But those are like two separate productions entirely. What? <laughs> like, were they, if, if these movies were continuously that successful, like as they were with Silence of the Lambs, would they have just kept doing that? I guess, but this was a successful movie. He just didn't have any more story to work with. Oh my god. This is exhausting. Today's featured article on Wikipedia is Lady Gaga. So you wouldn't recommend this movie to people? I would not recommend this film. <laughs> okay. Good Good to know. This is such I'd recommend, a nothing uh, movie. The, the sweet release of death. From the pain of existence. Where can they find your thoughts on that online? Um, follow me on Twitter at Emperor OTN and send me a curious cat question. I do not have a curious cat, but I do have a Twitter at D E double G O Waffles. Well, Diego, it's just a few quick clicks away. <laughs> To get a curious cat, if you have a Twitter account, uh, no, <laughs> you could uh, like and subscribe uh, to the Waffle Press YouTube or iTunes. Check out our Patreon for some cool stuff over there because it'd be nice to have more production value. We'll actually put it to use instead of just doing more production because that doesn't always make a better production. I was just trying to shit on like Red Dragon retroactively, but then I, I kind of lost it. I started talking. I didn't really know where I was going with that, but that's okay because it's over now. Bye. Before Silence of the Lambs, before Hannibal, novelist Thomas Harris conceived of evil in its purest form.